1: Welcome to The Bunker. I'm Bobby Friction, and this is your daily need-to-know on news and politics. I think it's fair to think very often that, as Blur said, modern life is rubbish. But every so often, there are glimmers of light in the form of miraculous scientific developments – One of these, which has hit the headlines of late, is Ozempic, the weight loss drug which has had such radical results in patients with diabetes and obesity. It's actually escaped its prescriptive environment. It's now being snapped up by non-patients on the black market and off prescription for general weight loss with, according to influencers on TikTok and Instagram, miracle results. Do these new drugs like Ozempic and other similar meds actually work? Are they wonder drugs, or should we be worried? To help get a perspective on this, I'm joined by Dr. Robert Kushner, the lead investigator of the huge clinical trial that evaluated the safety and effectiveness of the game-changing drug. Dr. Kushner, welcome to The Bunker.
0: Thank you, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: So, wonder drug sounds like a cliché, but this time it seems Ozempic might actually be the one.
0: Well, I wouldn't call it a wonder drug. It's a little hyper about that. However, what it is, is it represents what we call paradigm shift in the treatment of obesity. That is, we, is changing the direction of how we think about managing individuals who live with obesity. And it is one of the most effective medications we have for treatment, not only of obesity, but also diabetes. And we call this diabetes if we combine these two large problems together.
1: So, Robert, can you give us a quick OZEMPIC for dummies? Just tell us where it's placed within the medical paradigm and, and the kind of things we can expect from it.
0: For years, we have tried to find an effective target to help patients manage their body weight better. And most of the treatments for obesity are focused on appetite control. That is helping individuals feel less hungry, full sooner, more content between meals, less thoughts of food, and less cravings. We have settled upon, for the first time in decades, an effective target for that treatment. And those are called gut hormones. So those are hormones produced by the intestine and the pancreas. One of those hormones is called GLP-1. So what semaglutide is, and the trade name is Ozembic or Wagovi, is it mimics, it takes this effective gut hormone that naturally affects our appetite and helps us control our blood sugar. And through pharmaceutical manipulation mimics this hormone so we can give it back to people at much higher doses to make it more effective. Bobby, the best comparator is insulin, right? We all make insulin but we could synthesize insulin, give it back to individuals with diabetes, and the diabetes improves. In this case, we take GLP-1 hormone, synthesize it, mimic it, give it back to individuals uh, living with obesity, and we could augment their appetite suppression. That leads them to consume less calories over a longer period of time because they're less hungry and full sooner.
1: So just break this down for me. Is it like one of those drugs, you know, when we were told of drugs that could stop you smoking, but it was about affecting something in the brain as opposed to affecting your lungs. What's this drug about? Is it doing something to your stomach or is it affecting something in your brain?
0: Yeah, all roads lead to the brain and, and a smoking is a good example. So this a hormone, which is given back to individuals on a weekly shot, just to say that as well, it does slow stomach emptying. So as you eat, food leaves the stomach slower. We know that it increases the release of your natural insulin, so it helps blood sugar. That's why it's approved for diabetes. But for obesity, it uniquely circulates up to the brain, and it affects receptors in the brain that have to do with appetite. And there's two areas in the brain, which is why this drug is so interesting. One is the area of the brain that simply tells you you're full or hungry, very basic feelings and content. How, in addition to that, the other area of the brain that affects is called the reward center. This is the center of the brain that has enticement of food, the reward of food, cravings, wanting and liking of food. So this drug hits all of the notes when it comes to controlling one's desire and interest and drive to eat more than you need. And that's why taking this drug, individuals eat more modestly appropriate for weight loss or maintaining a lower body weight. We really haven't seen this kind of effectiveness before. And that's why when it came out in 2021 in the United States, it was dubbed a game changer around the world. I wouldn't say miraculous. That's a little bit too much. But I would say it's a game changer for the paradigm shift and the effectiveness.
1: Now, if you're a Luddite, you might take medicines, you might take aspirins, you might take paracetamols. But the idea of taking something to affect something, but via the brain, might be scary for, as I said, some people who feel, medically speaking, like Luddites. Is there something problematic around drugs that go for the brain first?
0: Well, think about depression as an example, right? So you you may feel blue, you don't feel happy, you, you have anhedonia, which is lack of pleasure. You use medications that work in the brain that generate those sensations or feelings and people are able to function better in the world. In this case, individuals who are struggling to maintain a healthy body weight often find it difficult to reduce the amount of food they consume. They don't feel full, they're feeling hungry. We use a medication, again, in the brain to change those sensations. So the bottom line regarding obesity, which really is an important message to get out uh, because there's so much shame and stigma and, and bias really around the world about obesity, is that it is a disease when we call it clinical obesity because it leads to multiple medical problems, diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, and cancers, and it's chronic. So we now have a medication that deals with a disease called obesity and helps people maintain a lower body weight and therefore reduce the complications of obesity and improve quality of life.
1: This is wonderful, then. I won't use the word miraculous. You don't want me to do that, and I get that. If obesity, which is an umbrella for so many other things that plague us in the modern world, this could have a profound effect on on human health globally.
0: Well, I think you are right. Uh, obesity is, is probably one of the most common chronic diseases across the world. It outpaces malnutrition, although there's many of that, of course, particularly with climate change and famines. But it is it is uh, plaguing many, many countries around the world. And as you just said, not only is it a disease in itself, it is a risk factor for or a gateway for all the other common diseases, most uh, distinctly multiple cancers and cardiovascular disease. If you treat people upstream, when you're starting to gain weight and developing this disease of obesity and developing all these other medical problems, we can have a leg up on reducing the end product of of why people develop morbidity and mortality uh, over time.
1: Now, as ever, uh, we're discussing this right now, but the internet's always ahead of sometimes even the experts and people like me. And the big story around Ozempic has been its take-up, amongst influencers, people on TikTok, people on Instagram, calling it the wonder drug, people who don't have obesity, who don't have diabetes. What's the effect of that being? Because I've heard there's actual shortages globally now.
0: Yeah, well, let me let me start with what's good about it, but then I'll quickly get to what's not good about it. What's good about it is it's shined a light that we have a medication that can be effective and help people manage their body weight. So I think it is brought the conversation forward that obesity is likely a disease because it could be treated by medication. If it's not a disease, why would you use a medication? So I think that the thinking is there. But let me quickly go to the downside, the dark side that I'm not particularly happy with. One is that it gives misinformation that this disease can be used to lose a few kilograms. If you want to be thinner, which is a social construct, you use this medication for a short period of time. The problem with that is that is that we don't want to make people thinner. We want to make people healthier. And it's not a short-term solution. The medication needs to be used long-term because once you stop it, all those feelings of hunger and reduced fullness and cravings for food come back. It didn't treat anything. The other thing uh, that you just said, Bobby, is is also unfortunate, is that the company cannot make enough of this medication in a supply production line and a supply chain and delivery. And it is true that individuals who would benefit from the medication, such as those with diabetes or those struggling with obesity, are unable to get the medication in many parts of my country in the United States.
1: See, I totally understand all of that. And I understand the good points and the bad points. And anyone with half a brain is going to agree with that. But also, A miracle weight loss drug is something humans have been looking for for a very long time indeed. I don't understand how we flip where we are right now, where essentially people can hear you and agree with you. And because we're obsessed with body image... These people who aren't obese are still going to go out there and get it. In terms of supply chains, we can fix that, right? We can make more drugs. We can catch up. How are we going to stop people literally taking it to lose weight for a wedding, to lose weight for their birthday party?
0: Well, I could think of two things to answer your question. One is messaging. We need to get, educated, like this podcast and others. About what is semaglutide? Semaglutide is the actual drug. It's Ozempic's trade name. Get correct messaging about what the drug is, what it should be used for, uh, and, and have people understand that. The second is Bobby. Interestingly, is it's a medication that needs to be prescribed. Therefore, there is a prescriber who is giving this medication to individuals who do not meet the qualifications. I think there's an inherent problem in that. I think maybe we need a little bit more professionalism. When one is prescribing a medication to be thoughtful, even though one can pay out of their pocket, that doesn't mean they deserve or uh, to get what they want if it in, is indeed not required or necessary. The other thing I want to point out is that there are side effects associated with this medication, and it needs to be carefully monitored. Let me just quickly mention some of those. It is very common when you start a medication like semaglutide or others in the same family, that you may have diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, constipation, and heartburn. In some of those individuals, they could be so severe that you may end up in the emergency department with dehydration and so forth. Not common all the time, but needs to be monitored for. There's also a higher risk of gallbladder disease or gallstones. So you need to be monitored for that. So the drug has to be carefully monitored and taken. And one other side effect we're starting to see in some individuals, the drug is so effective, they stop eating and they could become malnourished or you lose so much weight that you lose lean body mass called muscle mass and you could become weaker and more fatigued. Now, that, those are more extreme cases, but when you're taking it unmonitored and you don't even qualify for it, and you end up having a very strong effect to it. You can become malnourished and weak if you're not paying attention to how to use it properly.
1: My last point on this, I don't want to labour it too much, is when Viagra first came out, I remember every bit of spam email I had was offering me Viagra. I remember the gap between the news stories and actually being offered Viagra almost under the counter in a local bar from, let's just put it this way, people who aren't medically qualified, was only about a year or so. Could this drug go the same direction of Viagra where it just... It's there in the medical community, in the medical industry, but it leaves it and permeates popular culture.
0: I don't know the answer to your question. Some things come to mind, though, is that the drug is very expensive. And it's unfortunate there's an inequality of availability, which is quite unfortunate. Think about if you use terms like miraculous, which I don't like to use, but let's say very effective. We're actually having difficulty getting into individuals who would Most benefit because of lack of coverage in the UK as well as in the US and other countries. So I think it's not going to go away. It is the the first of multiple drugs that are coming down the road in the next five to ten years that will also be manufactured and available that will be as effective or even more effective than semaglutide. So we need to get this right for the drugs that are coming after it, so that we can use it properly and appropriately for patients in need.
1: Now, you mentioned that the drug's very effective, but it only works when you're on it, and then you come off it, and it doesn't work anymore. How do we deal with a drug that only works when prescribed? Because to me, the simple math of that is you're going to have to take it for the rest of your life.
0: Well, I think that comes down to, in part, a misunderstanding of what obesity is, that we're still trying to educate individuals. Bobby, if this conversation was not about obesity, but diabetes, And I said, you have diabetes, could lead to amputation, kidney disease, heart disease, stroke, and so forth. You will need to take medication for your diabetes, probably for the rest of your life to prevent those complications. I don't think a lot of people would push back. They'd say, if I could treat it and reduce those complications, that's a trade-off I'm willing to take. When it comes to obesity, we have these social constructs that it's my fault. It's personal responsibility if you just ate less and moved more, everything would be fine. You're lazy. You don't have enough direction in your life. Those are misunderstandings uh, that we call bias and stigma and discrimination when it comes to individuals living with obesity. If we reframe it like I am suggesting and how the world professional community does, that it, it is a disease for many individuals, then you change your mindset and say, okay, I get it. I need a medication to treat something inside me that makes it difficult for me to manage my body weight and then leads to all these other complications. So I think we have to think differently about the disease of obesity versus the social idea like I need to lose a little weight so I can be thinner.
1: To move on now to the industry that makes the drugs, the pharmaceutical industry is up there with tech and and defense in terms of its power, its economic power, and its power to profoundly affect society. Should we be worried about, I don't like this phrase that much, but big pharma being behind a drug such as Ozempic? Because they have to make money first and foremost, right?
0: One thing is that there are multiple medications that we call emerging medication. Results are already being published in short-term trials, one and two-year trials, that as I said before, are as effective or even more effective than semaglutide. So now we're talking about market pressures and competition. Over time that will likely bring prices down. I'm thinking terms of prices. Number two, these medications go off patent at some point, so they become generic. That's another thing that they're going to become cheaper. big pharma does pay for research and development. It takes a lot of money to bring these drugs to market. I get that. However, the the cost of these medications is prohibitive to individuals who don't have insurance, which makes it medications for the haves and not for the have-nots, which is really problematic for a disease like obesity that affects all individuals and actually affects individuals of lower economic communities even more so. So, I think it's something we have to deal with as a society about how to deal with the cost of medications and balance that against the cost of research and development from pharmaceutical companies.
1: Now, I'm going to caveat the next question with the fact that you were part of the testing regime in terms of the development of this drug. Is the current testing regime in the United States and the UK, for example, strong enough to deal with drugs as new as Ozempic? Well, I
0: always like to compare these drugs to all the other drugs we deal with every day, whether it's headache, migraine, seizures, psoriasis, you know you name them. It's the same regulatory requirement to get these drugs approved, right It's safety, tolerability, effectiveness that is over a period of time with a large amount of individuals, and then it's submitted to the regulators and gets approved. It's no different than any other drug. Then we begin what's called post-marketing reports or surveys. And that's what, that's the phase that this drug is in now. So there is a, a survey system, every country has this, where you report side effects to the regulators and they look into it if needed. So I think the policies are in place to follow these medications that are used long-term. I can tell you that Ozembek, specifically a drug that you're talking about here, was approved in the United States in 2017 and then subsequently approved in countries thereafter. So you are literally globally talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of individuals who have been exposed to Ozembic since 2017. And at least I am not aware of signals that are coming up that are alarming me, although side effects can occur. Like we said, GI side effects, potentially pancreatitis, dehydration, so on. Patients need to be monitored very carefully like any other medication.
1: Robert, using your crystal ball and your obvious uh, expertise on this, what's the future for society with these kinds of drugs? I'm not just talking about weight loss, but next generation of drugs. Is it going to be a brave new world?
0: I don't know if it's a brave new world, but I think it would be a, a world where our toolbox is expanded to help individuals. When I think about obesity, I think of it in two realms. One is clinical obesity, a patient who comes to see their medical, their healthcare professional, and having this one-on-one conversation, do I have an effective treatment for you sitting in front of me because you have obesity, diabetes, sleep apnea, so forth? And the answer is yes, and even more so over the coming years, which means our toolbox is being expanded. And that's exciting to patients and providers. The other domain, though, is the public health issue of obesity that every country around the world is facing. We do not have enough medication, nor would we ever think about treating the population with medication. So it's a a multiple problem and solution. Medications, for sure, which is the topic of the podcast, but they have to be balanced with public health initiatives, availability of healthier foods, changing our built environment so they're safe playgrounds and better lighting and less crime for people, changing the social consciousness of obesity, that it isn't a personal problem that's demonized. It is a disease in, among many, not all, but many individuals that we need to have some more compassion for and support for these individuals, uh, bring costs down for medications as well as for fruits and vegetables. So we need, it's like a moonshot. We need multiple stakeholders involved to really tackle this obesity problem.
1: Dr. Robert Kushner, thank you so much for visiting us in The Bunker today.
0: It's a pleasure, Bobby. Thank you.
1: Listeners, if you enjoyed the show, come back tomorrow for another edition. There's a new episode of The Bunker every day. And remember, you can back us on Patreon if you enjoy them. I'm Bobby Friction, and thank you so much for joining me in The Bunker.
0: The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Bobby Friction. The producer was Liam Tate, and the assistant producer was Adam Wright. Audio production was by me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by
1: Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.